I'm Greg Dollar Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. Recently invited to think big about the focus of his PhD thesis in computational media design, Owen Brierley felt that panic we so often feel when that canvas feels too blank, too wide open. But almost immediately, he found himself drawing courage from the voice of a mentor dating back nearly three decades, specifically on the importance of trusting yourself in order to enter the void. And he would challenge us to try and move beyond that and into the place where you don't know what's coming next. You really, really don't know. Hmm. And embracing the you really, really don't know. <laughs> because that's a, a state of free fall. That's a state of, it's scary. And, and you kind of need that scariness. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not even, am I going to fail? It's, I don't even know how to start to fail. Right? And, and is it, it, and what happens if I put a mark on the canvas and I'm not happy with that mark, you know, or, or, you know, I get, I get a lot of the way through that and it suddenly it's misaligned and it's, it's no, trust yourself. By his own admission, Owen Brierley's life has always been about transitions fed by an insatiable curiosity. At times, those transitions have felt like, now what? Or at other times, what's next? But he has never felt a stranger to an ellipses state and the creative opportunities it has constantly provided. A performer from a very young age, his mind was blown when a friend introduced him to a new computer fad called the World Wide Web and he leapt into the brave new world of digital media design and production. A natural ability to bridge gaps in understanding between disparate groups of experts has allowed Owen to collaborate across many disciplines in the arts and sciences. In his latest ellipses, Thinking Adventure, Owen is discovering the world of academia and the process of doctoral studies in the computational media design program at the University of Calgary. In this space, he is playing with intelligent virtual beings and the human side of research in video gaming and virtual realities. He's fascinated by the relationships that we create with our Roombas, our wariness of autonomous vehicles, our complex and evolving trust with Siri or Alexa, and our joy of watching and interacting with the non-player characters in open-world games. Owen knows beauty to exist in these virtual creatures and spaces and is intrigued by how the artists who design them might help us appreciate the beauty in our relationships with them. Owen, welcome. As I said in the introduction, you are currently a PhD candidate in the area of uh, media design. And I wonder if off the top, you might take us into that world and tell us just a little bit about what you're currently working on. Thank you. Yeah, and, and what a joy to be part of this. It's, I, I'm, uh, ever since you first reached out uh, uh, about being part of this, this series of, of podcasts, um, I've been excited and, and looking forward to this very conversation. Um, so Computational Media Design is a program at the University of Calgary that is multidisciplinary. And so we see um, postgraduate students come into the program who are uh, usually from outside computer science, uh, so they may they may be in the uh, School of Creative and Performing Arts, uh, they may be in um, architecture, they may be in some some discipline that is not computer science, and their their desire is to combine their their home discipline with uh, with computer science related stuff. Now, the program was originally conceived and created by um, 
uh, Frank Maurer and uh, Sheila Carpendale. And Sheila Carpendale is, is world-renowned in her work in uh, human-computer interaction and, uh, and, um, and this whole area of art and computer science kind of emerging. Um, and, and so I was uh, approached by a, um, a man, my mentor and supervisor uh, currently, Dr. Patrick Finn, um, and he is in the School of Creative and Performing Arts, and he, he said, you know, all this stuff you do and you have done is right in line. Have you ever thought about doing, uh, and at the time that he was, he was talking to me, have you ever thought about doing a master's? And uh, I thought, well, that's an interesting notion. I, you know, I'm here. I am uh, in my fifties, uh, uh, and and I have someone saying, "Want to be a student again?" Hmm. Uh, and uh, and and so we we started a, a conversation. Um, and in the CMD program, you have two supervisors. So there, are, Patrick is co-supervising with Dr. Christian Jacob, who is the head of computer science uh, at, at the University of Calgary, and he runs the Lindsay Virtual Human Lab. And so when I met Christian and uh, and the three three of us started. Um, in fact, we, we started having Cobb salad at uh, the Bath Center. We would go to the Banff Center and sit on the side of a mountain and have Cobb salad and have a conversation about um, sort of what sort of interesting things we could get up to in, in, this, uh, in this world of, of doing a master's. And then about, um, so that was in, in January of 2019, I started the program uh, in, in the master's role. And then uh, around November of that year, uh, they both looked at me and said, well, let's just transfer you to the PhD. <laughs> so apply, apply to the PhD uh, and we'll see if you get in. You might not, but let's try. And, uh, and I got in um, and I was accepted into the PhD program. Um, and typically a PhD, you're expected to spend four to six years uh, pursuing your, your research and, and and whatnot. Um, so I'm currently two and a half years in, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm hoping to defend either the end of this year or early next. So uh, at three or three and a bit years uh, into the program, I'm I'm looking at at, at finishing up the the research and and, uh, and finishing the the program. So to the so question, am, uh, I, am I going? Yeah. Why am I moving so quickly through this thing? <laughs> uh, it, it has a lot to do with with uh, the nature of the work. I'm I'm able to leverage uh, a lot of my previous experience and my previous projects and and that sort of thing into uh, and and so both of my my supervisors have said, yeah, you don't need to dilly dally on this. You need to you need to move uh, and and uh, at the same time. There's a lot of learning and a lot of, of growth and understanding in, in terms of just understand. I'm a late blooming ac academic. I, I <laughs> honestly, I, I, when I was offered the opportunity to, to do the master's, my previous other post-secondary experience uh, that was completed was, was a theater arts diploma from McEwen uh, in 89. <laughs> so, so here we are. Uh, okay, and, and it does bear note that you also uh, owned, operated, and created a post-secondary program of your own in 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 Edmonton. Um, but that bridge, let, let's just let's stop there for a brief second. So you were a sure. theater kid, mm -hmm. and you went from there on this large journey, this this arc that has gotten us here. Um, you, you started by saying, hmm, do I, in my fifties, how do I feel about being a student again? So to you, I asked that question, how do you feel about being a student now? I, I love it. And, uh, and it's, it has been so much fun to, uh, to, and uh, also I'll, I'll admit super scary, uh, 
rife with imposter syndrome. Uh, but I, I have, I've, I think I've suffered a bit of imposter syndrome my entire life because uh, I've always pretended to be a hearing person. Uh, and and okay. being being born seventy five percent deaf, uh, my I was trying to fool everybody into thinking that I was a hearing person, uh, and uh, and I I think I got pretty good at it. In fact, many people forget that I uh, uh, that I lip read and 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 that um, that I uh, that I learned to speak. My mom used a, a balloon to help me learn to speak. She. Uh, she would hold the balloon when I was an infant. She would hold the balloon up to my face, make sounds in it. It would vibrate against my, my cheek, and babies are natural mimics. So I suddenly was developing a frontal resonance. I did not develop a, 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 a what they refer to as a deaf accent. Um, and it wasn't until I was uh, studying voice and diction with, uh, with uh, Walter Kazza, uh in theater school and uh, I realized, oh my goodness! Okay, so this is where this is where all of of, of my my balloon training <laughs> came in uh, as a as a two year old. Um, is I, I have the the frontal resonance. So so that's a, a, a minor aside. The the imposter syndrome is a is a thing, and uh, and uh, and you kind of just have to embrace it and roll with it and accept that. Uh, that um, until somebody tells you stop doing what you're doing, you just keep doing what you're doing, and uh, and so far it has been a, a welcoming, nurturing, uh, engaging. Sure, there's there's uh, the frustrations of of I I don't get uh, uh, I'm still working on publications and developing a, a track record of, of getting published. Um, and so there is a bit of the um, audition mentality <laughs> coming from theater. It's, it's you know, you, you kind of realize, oh, yeah, okay, well, um, I'm going to try and, and get a paper published somewhere. And I just kind of have to pedal my resume around until, you know, and, and in this case, it's a research paper. I have to pedal the research paper around until we find the right fit. Um, Different stage and, to hustle uh, on. Sorry, what's that? Different stage to hustle on right the di di exactly. just just exactly. just a different place to be but it's still the hustle and you know it's interesting it i just want to i want to press into this notion of 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 the imposter syndrome i certainly understand you know of what you're referring and how many of us feel like we are in that place what if um your self-awareness your self-knowledge your ability to be the integrator as you as we started off on this was actually um, uh, evidence that what you may have been calling the imposter syndrome was actually the uniform that gave you strength. And what, what if it isn't what holds you back, but actually reminds you of what more there is? The invitation. And, and, and the, um, this is interesting because uh, Patrick and I, uh, um, even before I started the program, um, I, I told him about this uh, new thing I was doing uh, called DJing, <laughs> and uh, and at uh, I think I was fifty-one, and I started getting into. I, I had been doing uh, visual VJing in in nightclubs and whatnot for fun uh, as part of the because I had been on this journey of exploring um, uh, projection mapping and, and all of that combining the performance space and, and the digital space in, in that kind of environment and so these uh, these uh, nightclub opportunities were uh, a, a ton of fun because you could do no wrong and uh, and you could just do whatever you wanted to in the space and 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 uh, and do the best you can to engage the the audience and and uh, and add to the overall feeling of, of, of what's going on in the environment and for fun I, I thought oh you know well I always wanted to try this DJing thing and one one key thing was was I suddenly had hearing aids that I could connect directly to 
uh, the uh, audio gear. I had little headphone plugins that, that essentially were connecting uh, through a wireless loop, actually, that, that the technology advanced enough thank goodness for the baby boomers because they wanted their their smartphones and their you know and they were all losing their hearing aid and so i have 70 year old ears from birth so you know i uh, i was like yay awesome i get to have all these neat toys that i i haven't had before and uh and so uh, i had a friend who was willing to to teach me to dj and and so i i embarked on that 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 journey and and patrick my supervisor he asked me so why why did you do that uh, why why and i said because it scared the crap out of me this was really pushing myself into a space where uh i was getting comfortable with the whole vj thing i was getting comfortable with the whole projection mapping thing uh and and yeah you're right you 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 mentioned how this imposter syndrome is actually a um, part of that creative uh, spark or that creative energy that that kind of you move into a place where and it's funny because <laughs> I'm gonna use a, a David Bowie quote. Um, mm. He talked about uh, uh, in an interview once. He talked about how when you're doing creative work, you don't want to be so out of your depth that you're drowning. But you also don't want to be so close to the shore that you're flat-footed. You want to just be where your tiptoes are just touching, and your maybe your nose is just above the water, or your mouth is just above the water. You're kind of pushing yourself into that that safe risk zone. And so, so you know, when we talk about this this imposter syndrome, um, you, you, yeah, it, it is one of those things where maybe I'm wired to to embrace it and roll yeah. with it and uh and use it as a tool as opposed mm -hmm. to a, a barrier yeah <clears throat> yeah and 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 ben i love that image of the bowie and thank you for for bringing the whole podcast uh up a, a notch by by uh citing david <laughs> the high brow has arrived so i really do appreciate that but that that wonderful sense of that i'm getting from you which is it's not debilitating it's a reminder and that i can see the spectrum am i out of my depth okay then i need to head a bit closer to shore and figure out how to get deeper uh but you've got some agency and control in terms of how far you know, you mm -hmm. tiptoe out and how far that waterline rises. Um, and, uh, and, you yeah. know, I'm going to, I'm going to tap into something that is, is near and dear to your heart. And, and that's clowning. Um, mm. I studied clowning, uh, when I, when I was in my teens with some, um, brilliant and beautiful people, Stephen Heatley and, um, mm -hmm. um, Glennis McQueen Fuentes and, and a few others. And, and, um, and there's an innocence that clowning gives you in every situation. And no matter how old you are, how experienced you are, how knowledgeable you might be, there's always an opportunity to kind of see things through fresh eyes. And, and when I, I'm facing those moments of... Uh, am I out of my depth? I don't know. Uh, am I feeling insecure? I, I start to get into that playful mode of, of let's see what happens. What's, mm. what's the worst that could happen? I might fail. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, and, uh, and, you know, not to say that, that I'm, uh, we all have an ego. And, and when failure happens, you, you go through that emotional cycle of, oh, Bummer, <laughs> right? And and, yeah. you need and to who saw? Embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you need who's to watching? Mm -hmm. And and at the same time, the beauty of, of of the clown is is the immediate. Okay, that happened. I'm sad. Now I'm moving on to the next thing. Yeah. And and embracing every single moment in that, and not allowing any one of those moments to take over your life. Mm -hmm. Um. And I, you know, so I'm really fortunate in that I kind of am maybe um, I've been given this uh, this way of being that is is uh, uh, I, I can live the life of, of this 
goofy innocence that that is <laughs> some may may have said you know oh wow you you don't have any kind of academic background what are you doing stepping into a, a master's degree what are you doing why would you even apply for a phd you might fail yeah i might fail and in fact i fail a lot I have failed lots and lots and lots of stuff and lots and lots and lots of things. And I'm still here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have those reminders uh, of those mentors in this case, uh, the, the, the two that said, you know what, I think you've kind of done your coursework here. I think it's time that we test the waters and see if the experience that you have grown is not sufficient uh, foundation for, for the PhD. And, I continue, I, I mean, even in this conversation, every conversation I have with you, even the notes you send me uh, online, there's this, there's this beautiful reference to this long learning journey for you. And, and again, here you've just, you've brought up clowning. We've talked improvisation before, what it has taught us through fear. You have, um, you've now found yourself <laughs> in this place where you're focusing in artificial intelligence and and exploring what that's all about. But I know you haven't lost that very human side of things uh, as you've moved forward. You, you, you shared with me earlier that you have been referred or you used to refer to yourself as a conduit, bringing these, bringing and channeling together all of these disparate parts and people and skills my understanding is that recently you've been gifted a new metaphor. Uh, you want to just tell us about the conduit through sure. to where you're sitting uh, now. So, so the the notion of the conduit was was I, I love the the idea that um, uh, that I, I and and in many ways it was um, I think the the sort of first time that it really came into focus with the conduit concept was was when I was the multimedia development coordinator at Alberta Learning, working on the LearnAlberta.ca project, and I was I, I was working with uh, expert top level teachers in the K to twelve environment and expert top level multimedia developers. And they didn't understand one another at all. And so my job was primarily in the um, helping the uh, educators understand multimedia and helping the multimedia developers understand uh, pedagogy. And and so, you know, being that that connector, that that bridge builder, that conduit. Um, and it was my my co-supervisor. Christian, who uh, he he gave me a new word, and and it was it was a beautiful gift because um, it, it it shifted from a, a static object to an active verb, uh, a conduit. We kind of think is a pipe, you know, kind of sits there and does what it's supposed to do. Once it's set up, there you go, you can walk away. Um, he gave me a verb, and it was integrator. Uh, mm. And as a, a, a someone who, who is actively involved in integration work. Suddenly it was a, um, he, he, he described it as you, Owen, talking to me, you step into the, the, um, the realm of any discipline that you're, you're working on uh, and, uh, and that you happen to be involved with. And you you start finding ways to help those in those areas and their in those very specific expertise, helping them see how other areas might connect with them. And and it's not just a sort of a static thing. You're you're actively involved in in uh, understanding. Um, uh, bioinformatics or understanding uh, epidemiology or understanding um, dance uh, and uh, understanding AI and and so so what a what a lovely gift you know the, this whole notion that that it is uh, a role in a um, uh, a weird thing that I'm able to do and and mm -hmm. if it if it helps and 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 gives. Uh, gives a team uh, an opportunity to to do some things they otherwise might not have been able to to do. Uh, 
fantastic. What an exciting journey. Um, <laughs> working with Jordan, uh, uh, Jordan Dowler Coleman <laughs> on uh, Make Mine Love and, and being part of the team with uh, Bob Baker and helping Bob understand how projections work and, and how game engines work. And um, his partner, Tom, is a big techno nerd, but Bob really needed to also understand some key things about how everything worked. And I remember sitting in a, a production meeting <laughs> with where we were a week and a half into rehearsals out of three. And, uh, and Bob's frustration level was just rising and rising and rising because um, the the slapstick humor of the car chase in the middle of the show, the the sort of big animated moment on stage uh, was wooden, boring, not funny, and uh, horribly frustrating because um, the actors needed some some flexibility. They needed they they couldn't just perform to a click track because that's not their background. They, they were mm -hmm. actors, um, and and performing to a click track just resulted in in wooden performance, and and uh, and no one was believing it. And so he looked at me directly and he said, "You told me, <laughs> you told me that you could do this as a dynamic animation thing." Uh, and, and I said, yep. And, uh, and he said, so can we do that? And I said, make it so <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. <laughs> and, and I, because from the get go, I kind of had a feeling we were going to go this direction. So while I had been building the click track version, I was also building the dynamic version in parallel. Right. And I was actually, so uh, to truth be told, I was building the dynamic version and recording the click track version kind of as my own little performance um, and handing the, the click track version over to them yeah. for rehearsal. And, uh, and so suddenly we went through this massive transition midstream. And if you, you know what professional productions are like, mm -hmm. making a massive transition like that is a pretty big ask. Big, big shift to turn around. Mm -hmm. and, and it, it, it uh, fortunately, it, I think it, it helped save the scene, you know, and, and, and we weren't facing, uh, we were able to adapt to the actors rather than, than having the actors perform within the constraints of, of the technology. And, and, you know, you talk about, about the human side of things and, and, and uh, I thank you for, for bringing that up because it's, um, it's so important to me. Uh, the um, even when we talk to uh, or listen to uh, experts in AI, um, they'll they'll be the first to say, "Well, we don't really understand human intelligence and, and how that works yet. Uh, how are we ever going to make artificial intelligence?" And so. Hmm. The work I do in, in AI is is mostly looking at AI from the perspective of, well, rather than trying to fool people, what can I do to convince them, right? And, and what can I do to enhance the suspension of disbelief uh, in these AI characters? And, and how can I build trust between the actor, AI actor, and the audience or the player. And so when I, when I work in games, uh, it, interestingly, uh, the engine that I'm currently working in is Epic's uh, Unreal Engine. It's a popular, big, uh, big, powerful game engine that can do amazing things. Uh, in fact, the latest Matrix uh, film uh, Matrix Four. They they released a an Unreal Engine version of of, of um, the downtown core that they 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 shoot the thing. It's, it's incredible. They have metahumans and all kinds of wild and crazy things. Um, and and in the Unreal Engine, all of the things that you put in, on stage or in the scene are referred to as actors. And so I'm immediately thinking I have a relationship uh, with these actors, and it's up to me to draw out of these actors 
the performance that I need from them. Wow. So just before we, I want to, I just want to circle back to a a moment ago, you were talking about that, that, that term that so often comes up in the theater and we, we know it intuitively, even if you've never heard of it. And that is that willing suspension of disbelief. And, and you, in a previous conversation brought up a term that was new to me, maybe not to the rest of the world, but the uncanny valley. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the gap that exists there. And I just, I wanted to find a way to drop it into this conversation in case others were, were unfamiliar with that. Can you tell us a little bit sure. about that, what it is, and how it relates to this piece of your story? Sure. So the Uncalling Valley is, is often used in, um, in science circles uh, to represent um, the experience of any kind of technology that has anthrop- anthropomorphic components and uh, and we engage with that um, that technology and then at some point it becomes so believable so realistic and yet there's something that we just don't <laughs> believe we just you know and and I, I use the comparison of um, Tom Hanks in Polar Express, Right. Right. And there's nobody, nobody watches that film and looks at the Tom Hanks animated figure uh, and thinks, uh, wow, that's so real and so believable that I'm blown away and and I can't tell the difference between Tom Hanks Mm -hmm. and and, uh, the real Tom Hanks and the virtual Tom Hanks. Uh, It is, that is the uncanny valley. That's where we look at, at, at whatever we're being presented with and go, nah, I'm not buying it. Right. Yeah, it's a bit creepy, and, hey? It's a bit of a creepy feeling. It's, well, you don't know quite they, what it is. but We, we do refer to it as, as zombie, right? It's, ah. it's, it's not alive. And that's, that's a, a really key thing. And yet we anthropomorphize robots. Uh, and mm. the comparison I use is Pixar's WALL-E. Um, mm. And WALL-E, you know, I, I am fully engaged with and I am fully buying into that emotional journey of that little robot because it's convincing me. It's not fooling me. In Polar Express, I feel like somebody's trying to fool me and they, they didn't do it. <laughs> I'm like, ha I I see that that's not the real Tom Hanks. And and we, you know, we can't help but, but look at some of the um the the efforts that are put into technologies and and sort of question what we're, what we're seeing and, you know and and it's 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 in our nature we we need to be able to distinguish imposters from it's we're biologically wired for that kind of of of, uh, of comparison. So rather than trying to fool me, uh, I, I'm much more interested in well, what can we do to convince, right? And let's not worry about making Siri so believable, but maybe let's embed Siri, give Siri some human qualities that 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 make uh, make that trust uh, desirable, right? I often talk about how I'd really love to have Siri. Uh, I'd love to have the the closure of any kind of conversation. I can say, hey, Siri, what's the weather? And Siri says, oh, it's 12 degrees outside. I can say, thank you. And and Siri says, you're welcome. Right. What a, what a beautiful moment. You know, like, <laughs> we still do it. I, I still do that one. <laughs> you do. I, I do too. I, 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 I don't get anything back. I don't get that. No, no. But hope uh, lies eternal. Yeah. Right? Lives eternal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Owen, if, if there's anything that, uh, that comes to my mind when I sit and listen to you, it is about this incredible curiosity you have about the world. About, it seems about everything. And, you know, there's also a gift I just want to acknowledge and maybe get your take on, but the word expert came up a minute ago. Um, and yet when you described your powerful role as the integrator, 
uh, you can't possibly be the expert in all of those areas with which you are curiously leaning in and finding connective tissue. Um, I, when I say that, and, and, and you're nodding, you know, uh, um, I just, I, I can't help but wonder how many times we, I say that now in a universal way, we as people keep ourselves from trusting that the curiosity is enough because we don't know enough to enter into the field to, 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 to be, you know, to ground that curiosity. And this goes back to that conversation about the imposter syndrome. If you weren't willing to say, ah, well, I don't really feel I know, you know, shit, but here I go. I'm, I can't help it. And in I go. So what is it that you have that you, that you what is it that you have that you could share <laughs> with somebody else who said, how do you do that? How do you allow do you yourself that? to be comfortable enough in the discomfort of not knowing to know more? That's a really interesting question. Thank you for that. That's, um, uh, I'm going to stab and poke away at a few possible uh, answers. Um, my hope is that all of these answers are not so far away from anyone else's experience that uh, that they go, oh, this is, I'd never thought of that before. Hopefully it's, it's oh, this is just a different way of, of, of looking at, at the world that I already see, you know? And so, so hopefully some of these, these responses are, are, are resonating for folks. Um, so I'm, I'm going to refer to a few things. Um, I was never expected to, by some people, I was never expected to graduate high school. I was never expected to be more than um, uh, uh, manual laborer uh, or or that sort of thing. Um, now, the beautiful thing is, my parents, uh, both my mom and dad, uh, said, "You can be whatever you want to be. You're going to have to work hard for it." You're hard of hearing, so you're going to have to work even harder for it. Uh, so accept those things and uh, and uh, and do as far as you can. You know, do do whatever you want to do and do what you love to do. Hmm. Um, and so I came home one day and said, "I'm going to be an actor." And they said, oh, <laughs> "Great, okay." Uh, not what we were thinking, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and they challenged me. They, uh, um, I I had the opportunity to take some theater classes that I had to pay for, and um, we weren't in a place to be able to afford them. So um, they said, "Well, if you really want to do this, you're old enough now. I, I think I was thirteen, fourteen. You're old enough now that if this is really what you want to do, then maybe you should uh, you can." Uh, earn some money and and uh, and start taking these theater classes. All right, I'm I'm thirteen, fourteen. This is the opportunity, um, and uh, and so I got a paper paper route. I started earning money and I started paying for my own acting classes, um, and that was a level of autonomy. That was a level of uh, freedom. That was a level of accountability and and commitment to my own uh, path, whatever that was going to be. And there were no expectations placed on me other than the ones that I gave myself uh, and my hopes. And and you know, I, I, I of course. Um, as an actor, I'm a big approval seeker, so you know I, I really wanted people to think it was interesting and cool and the stuff that I was doing. So, so there was there were always those sorts of things. But, um, but I think one of the very first kinds of, of experiences that I had around this kind of uh, risk taking, uh, and and a bit of the. Uh, I don't know if it's going to succeed or not. Uh, I don't. I I just knew that I, I wanted to do these classes, and 
and I had been told by my my drama teacher in, in junior high school that that I should actually try to get into these classes. I had to audition to get into the classes, and so I managed to get in. And 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 it was these little little risks that were were developmentally appropriate. Let's say that, right? And and so yeah, yeah. Um, you know, finding those those opportunities to take risks that. Uh, weren't an all or nothing hmm. uh, uh, situation. It was. It was. I tried a thing. It was successful. I tried another thing. It was successful. And and by the time I was fifteen, I, I'd been hired by the CBC to to be in a show that was a highly experimental collaboration between the Catalyst Theater and, and CBC. And and I was working with. Um, uh, Jack Emac and uh, and some folks at the oh right. So sorry, Jan Salmon, yes, Jan Salmon, uh, yeah. and uh, and David Barnett, uh, and two again really wonderful people dealing with this goofy fifteen year old kid who hmm. who knew nothing about anything and uh, and uh, and they were very kind and very giving and very supportive and and. Uh, and we were dealing with some tough, tough stuff in that show. We were talking about kids going through divorce with their, yep. you know, their family splitting up. And it, it was hard work. Um, and we were doing improv in front of, of, of teenagers, my peers, in a live television studio audience. The pressures were crazy. And, uh, and I failed in some of it. I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't figure out how to talk to the camera, for example. I have a very specific memory of all of this stuff. You know, this deaf kid is, is this hard of hearing kid is, is stepping into this space, doing this work. And I can't figure out how to look in the camera lens and not fall into the uncanny valley. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> they were watching me on, on, on the monitors. It's just like, Owen, oh, um, stop looking into the camera. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, and, and they tried positioning someone just off to the side and, and it, it was, yeah. Anyways, you, you don't succeed in everything. Right. You really fail. important. Yeah. But yeah. you get up and you keep, you, you do it again. And, and certainly there have been times where um, uh, I, I had a, a little bit of, I'm going to show you. Right, a little bit of, of defiance and a little bit of attitude, um, and and then there have also been times where uh, you lose your nerve and you, you just go, oh man, I. Uh, and and there's also been times where where uh, <laughs> the the, the um, they refer to it as the spirit de escalier, the spirit of the staircase. Uh, I remember being in. Um, uh, an audition for uh, a, a television show called the ENG. Uh, I was living in Toronto. I was, I was uh, building my career in, in Toronto after finishing college, uh, working uh, as a professional actor, had my equity card, the whole bit. It was awesome. Um, and I walked into this audition and, and I'd made it down to me and one other guy for this right. bit part. In, it was a character in, in one of the episodes. And, um, and the casting director looked at me and said, this is really great, but you were hearing it. And I said, yeah. Yeah. So that's it's not, not a costume choice. No one ever said anything about that before. He said, well, the role isn't for a hearing impaired person. Can you act without your hearing aids in? And that freaked me out because I, I just, I've, I have worn hearing aids since I was five years old. And, uh, and I hadn't heard the the, the radar radar O'Reilly story yet um, uh, on Mash, where um, he was a drummer and he was missing fingers, uh, and uh, and he uh, and he did his entire role hiding his hand. Um, there's also that uh, that brilliant uh, slapstick comedian, um, not Buster Keaton, but the other guy who hangs from a clock. 
he actually also lost all of his fingers on his hand and he had a prosthetic glove that only, you know, or maybe it was his thumb. He lost his okay. thumb, right? And he was able to hang by, you know, and yeah. he just had a prosthetic thumb in his performance. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the, the spirit of the staircase after the audition, because of course that's, I can't act without my hearing. You know, I didn't react that way, but internally, sure. I was just, that's a preposterous notion. What the heck are you talking about, you silly man? Um, and, uh, and I said, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, uh, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. Then afterwards I thought, oh, you know, I could take one hearing aid out. Mm. You, could, you could shoot me from one side. And that was the spirit of the staircase moment. Thought, oh man, I missed my entire television career on that one thing. Yeah. And let's wonder yeah. if that particular director is still um, in that industry because uh, you, <laughs> You should never have been even in the, the the vicinity of the staircase to fall down and try to or for climb up. I mean, that's the esprit. Is it down or is it up? Did it slip on the banana peel at the top? But the bottom line is, thank goodness right. we are now in a world where that question would never be asked, or if it was, it would be the last time. Right. Right. In, that, in that context, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing uh, powerful learning building blocks of, of autonomy and agency. The invitation uh, to for by, by your parents and other mentors to go for what you believe and their support, both in the challenge and the honesty of saying there will be challenge and, and, and that, that, that built some grit for you and, and the resiliency the, the ability to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and, and, and move forward and in. The, um, thank you for that. And, and, uh, over and over and over again, I have been so fortunate to be surrounded by people who saw something in me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you and I first met at uh, Arts Trek in Fairview <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> centuries ago. Um, uh, and, and, I remember being at Victoria School when it was first starting up uh, as an art school and uh, Tammy looking at me and saying, you got this leadership thing going on. Well, that's, you know, you, you want to come do an extra year of high school and hang out and help our, our, our uh, these kids who are not used to being downtown, uh, get them feeling comfortable in this, in this space. Um, and so it was, it was opportunities that were presented to me uh, that were truly left fielders in, in many respects. Uh, I, I had just finished high school and I thought I was going to be either taking a gap year or going, I was, I was struggling to decide whether I wanted to go to McEwen or, or the U of A. Uh, and um, I was impatient, so I went to McEwen because it was a two-year <laughs> 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 and uh, and and as a result, I, I ended up having um, a, a really great experience. Um, uh, McEwen was just on the cusp of, of, of becoming a, um, a, an amazing program that produced so many excellent professionals. Not to say that the, the BFA program wasn't the gold standard and and, and continues to be, but um, the, it, it, McEwen for me was the right fit at the right time. And I yeah. think that's part of it too. Is, is kind of just um, I, I've I've trusted my gut. My mom always said, "Trust your gut." <laughs> she still says, nice. and there's times when my brain says, "Oh, this is a this is a better paying gig. Uh, this is a this is a more prestigious opportunity. This is a more this fits who you are today." Um, and I'm so fortunate that, uh, that my life partner and love of my life, uh, Pam is someone who isn't afraid to look at me and say, that's not you, you no. It, like, I appreciate the fact that you want to, in fact, I, I, we had this very conversation. Um, it was, uh, it was a point where I was being offered a very lucrative position, um, but it would take me away from creative work and put me much more into technical work. Uh, and, and, uh, and 
she she said this is a, a really great job offer but you're not going to be happy because you won't be creative and you're going to be grumpy owen i would much rather that we didn't have money and i was living with happy owen and uh, then we were you know a little better off and you were grumpy owen and so you know what a what a wonderful beautiful person to be living with uh, in yeah. your life and and, yeah. and you know having having that around you and, and as a teacher now i try to help people you know I, I really want people to see that in my experience and what i'm doing is, isn't that special you can do it too i'm i'm a I, I, i'm a learner i'm a i'm an idiot i'm a, a goof i'm a, a clown i and at the same time I'm not afraid to to have the water at my nose and have my tippy toes touching the sand, you know, and and helping people understand that there's ways to do that and and not drown is is really you know if that if I can give that uh, in my teaching to to any of my students. That's that's the biggest thing that I would, yeah. you know, regardless of the content I'm teaching them, just having that that ability to to think. Ah, let's try. Yeah, and your ability and willingness to see them as your partner sees you, and and you know, as I was hearing you talk. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Pam, I thought, yeah, well, that's the blessing we both have of partners who know us so well right. that they will hold us to uh, what they know we know, even when it's bloody inconvenient and often <laughs> uncomfortable, right? And we love them for it. And yeah. uh, and, yeah. and so yeah. I see in you, you turning that around to the next uh, I'd say generation or iteration, because generation sounds so much about the, the continuum of a chronological age, but it isn't that. It's about mm -hmm. those that you have the, you know, the great pleasure to be and, and honor to be alongside in your classrooms, virtual or otherwise, uh, in your studios, virtual or otherwise, and in, in your conversations over Cobb salads, um, you know, uh, hopefully yeah. again, live and in action at the BAMP Center and the beauty of the mountains. But that ability yeah. to say, I see you and I know you. And yeah. how about you bring that, that incredible, powerful you into, into the, 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 the playground, into the zone. So, Owen, when we first spoke, you brought up this beautiful image of a blank canvas. And I wonder if I mm -hmm. can just bring the blank canvas back into our space and ask you very specifically, A, why that blank canvas, what that is for you, but B, what are you most curious about right now? You know, I'm, I'm, we've been in your thinking, in the growth journey, but what are you thinking about right now in the space between the spaces? Mm -hmm. So I, I, the context of, of the blank canvas um, was something that I realized um, when I when I started working on uh, what my my thesis proposal was going to be, um, it was one of the very rare situations. First off, I I, I had a, a realization that um, I had been working uh, as an actor, as a digital media producer, as a theater director, as as all of these various roles that I've had the the, the good fortune to to play. It has always been in service of uh, some external prompt or idea or project or or, or thing, and um, and my my supervisors both very specifically said, "What do you want to do? This is your thesis. What do you want to do?" And I had a minor panic attack. Because it was that hmm. moment of, I don't know. <laughs> you know <it's> like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? You know, and it just that, that, mm. that and I, I needed to kind of be in that moment of, of 
that blank canvas that that we, we were talking about the, the notion of the ellipses and and, um, and the yes and uh, and and I even you know um, Ken Brown would refer to it as as the void um, in in acting it would be um, it, it's the uh, actors tend to build a, a, a tool chest of shtick that they can rely on to kind of turn to as their the go-to emotional reference and and um, and he would challenge us to try and move beyond that and into the place where you don't know what's coming next. You really, really don't know. Hmm. And embracing the you really, really don't know. <laughs> because that's a, a state of free fall. That's a state of, it's scary. And, and you kind of need that scariness. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not even, am I going to fail? It's, I don't even know how to start to fail. Right. And, and is it, and what happens if I put a mark on the canvas and I'm not happy with that mark, you know, or, or, you know, I get, I get a lot of the way through that and it's suddenly it's misaligned and it's, it's no trust yourself, hmm. trust yourself, embrace yourself, hmm. understand yourself. And yeah, sure. Maybe have a conversation or two with people who love you and, and have them reflect back to you what yourself is uh, yeah. and, and help you navigate some of the, the, uh, the initial markings on that blank canvas. And, and, and so when it came to my, my research, it, it was wide open and, yeah. and it was a case of looking at, at, um, what are, what are the current conversations happening around, uh, around games and AI and what am I interested in? What, what do I find myself um, reading more of and 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 being engaged by? Uh, you, you talked about my natural curiosity, and and I sometimes refer to it as it is popcorn brain. There's just this constant free association and joy of, of of going. Oh, cool! You mean you can do bioinformatics stuff? where we're exploring uh, motor proteins in a cell and their non-deterministic behaviors of, of dragging stuff around the cell and their self-organization and all of those agents can be simulated inside a game engine in real time and we can begin to play and explore and experiment. And it's just, that's my, that's, that's fun. That's so much yeah. You know, and at the same time, am I an expert in any of this stuff? What I am an expert in is I, I like to think that I'm an ex expert in, in storytelling. I like to think that I'm an expert in knowing what can engage people and engage a, a, an audience or a player and being able to put myself in their shoes and walk in their shoes in that experience and and say oh yeah this is cool and you know i, I oftentimes will <laughs> i feel a bit like and i'm gonna leverage tom hanks again and tom hanks in big and uh and he's this adult sitting in a boardroom looking at a toy and he says i don't get it <laughs> one of my favorite moments in that film is is i don't get it it's it's a robot that turns into a building how is that fun? Um, and, and, you know, that's, I, I, I feel a bit like that sometimes, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and working with, uh, with, uh, Bob Baker on make mine love the, the moment of, of, uh, you know, he, he was so worried that I was going to get caught up in the, in, in the technology and, and, um, um, uh, in, in developer world, in, in programming mm -hmm. world, they refer to it as a golden hammer. Um, and it's, you fall in love with this idea of doing something really cool. Like, uh, and, and you, you begin serving the, the, the technology as opposed to serving yeah. 
the audience and serving the player. Yeah. And, and, and for me, it's always, I, I need to come back home to say, well, it's the human side, right? This is, it's us, right? Yeah. And so, so if it's not working for, for us, then maybe it's not worth yet. Or maybe we need to work on figuring out how to connect that and how to integrate that, right? Yeah, but, but, but I love that single syllable. It's one of my favorite words, yet. You have just given a, a thesis on the question that I've so often been curious about when, you know, and, and people that have listened to these episodes prior to will know that I have um, a deep connection to the arts and to what the arts can provide us as a, as a, as a human species. But I've asked the question often of, 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 of older students of the arts uh, to say, what impact what what stuck with you? What was imprinted? And you have just given this incredible overview of the power of uh, a single drama class or a single open stage mic at a at a comedy club. That that willingness to take the chance to jump out of the plane to free fall to know that you're not going to die from it. We hope that the panic doesn't take you there. But the the but but the learning about storytelling, empathy, being able to step into somebody's shoes, that stuff is, is ingrained so deeply within you. And, and no, I know it wasn't for you a single drama class or a single painting class or a single singing class or a single comedy uh, experience. But there's something there that is, as you just put it, what are we if we lose a sight of our humanity, of being human? And there's a reason we call it live theater. It's totally live, and it better feel like it's alive as well. So, on, one of the things I just as we're as we're coming to the end of this conversation, I, I want to acknowledge, and I hope that listeners picked up on it, and I want you to hear me offer it back. And that is, you cannot reference a story or a memory without beautifully acknowledging the inspiration of a particular mentor, a particular colleague. You've done it consistently. And in fact, in the one moment when you couldn't remember a name, it, I mean, Harold Lloyd, that's fine. He's, he's long gone. But you couldn't remember the name of, a, uh, of, of somebody specific to a cast of, or a company. And I just think that I, I want you to hear how beautiful that is, that that, that hmm. says to me, here is a true collaborator in life who 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 honors those shoulders that you've been invited to climb up on, not just step on and and crush down. So, at this point in the in in these conversations, I ask us to jump to the imaginary playing field beyond the horizon we can see. I know that you're a, I know you're a dad. Maybe there's a grandchild in the future, but if not a real grandchild, then an imagined grandchild. And that grandchild is telling their grandchild about Owen Brierley. Mm. And, and you get to be on the wall somewhere, some energy. What do you hear or want to hear or hope to hear in that story? Wow. That, that gets me right, right in the feels. Um, I think... I think that I, I I hope that um, people see joy, people see a journey, and they see they see that they can do it. I've been so lucky to have every step of the way. People who say, yeah, you can do it. Oh, that's, I'm a bit of a mess on that one. Holy crap. Um, Thank you for your heart. Mm. Thank you for your heart in this space. Yeah. I can, I can honestly acknowledge the power that you bring into the community that you're currently in, in computational media design. 
No, thank you, you need so them. Much. They need you. You are oh, uh, you're, you're yeah. in a great pool together. Yeah. Thank you it's, so much for this time and and your your stories and mm. and yourself. Well, Greg, you you're uh, you're a beautiful human, and uh, and it is a real joy to be uh, to be part of these uh, this series. I mentioned it before. I was excited. Um, and congratulations, you you did something that not very many people can do. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you took me on a journey, uh, and and we we went to a place together that uh, that is it was really awesome. So so wow, gosh darn, thanks, man. <laughs> On our next episode of Ellipses Thinking, I speak with Nicole Schaefenacker, currently the artist-in-residence with the Yukon chapter of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. A multidisciplinary artist, Nicole sees in art the existence of pathways to create both meaning and understanding, to bridge knowledge systems and ways of knowing, and to make the possible personal. Through her work, she embraces radical, transformative approaches to addressing the challenges of the complex issues that we face as one species alongside others on Earth. She is deeply committed to and engaged in working to undo the colonial relations at the root of the climate crisis and fully acknowledges her role in making active the ongoing process of decolonizing self and society. I hope you will listen in on our conversation next week Don't miss an episode by subscribing now to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or wherever your listening needs are met. The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart, And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit DowlerColtman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.